Hi, well, welcome to Courtney's podcast. Exactly. Lucas, you're already doing all the intros for me and everything. That's so great. <laughs> this has right. been a Courtney podcast. <laughs> sponsored by Courtney. Thanks, Lucas. Yeah, that's I just sponsor myself. That's all I do. Let's talk about films and shit. Hey guys, welcome to Ghost Face in It. I am your host, Courtney, and this is where I talk about favorite movies with some of my favorite people, and I'm very happy to have my little brother, Lucas, on as my first guest and my test guest. So thank you, Lucas. Hello, I'm Lucas. <laughs> That's such a great... Thanks, Lucas. Uh, so we are talking today... Lucas, go ahead and tell everybody what your favorite movie is and what we're talking today. Uh, we'll be talking about The Empire Strikes Back, which is my favorite movie. I never really had a choice on if it was going to be my favorite movie or not, because our dad is obsessed with Star Wars, so I just watched it all the time as a child. That's very true. And it was your very first movie you ever saw in theaters, which I am eternally bitter about. That's true. I saw it, uh, got to see the re-release in 1997. I don't remember it because I was zero years old, but I like to brag just to make he you mad. He does. My my first movie was The Cutting Edge, which is a great movie. It's fun, but it is no Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start you off, Lucas, in 30 seconds or less. I wanted you to do a 30-second summary of the entirety of Empire Strikes Back's plot. I don't want you to do a log line. I want you to try and explain every major thing that happens in 30 seconds or less. Can you do that? Okay. Um, probably not, but tell me tell me when you're starting. All right, so I'm going to cut you off at 30 seconds, so let's see if you can hit all the major plot points. Are you ready? Yes. All right, ready and go. Okay, I think it's like a few years after they blow up the Death Star and the gang are all on this ice planet called Hoth. They have this big battle and they narrowly escape. Luke sees a... Oh, wait, during Hoth, Luke sees a ghost and he goes to Dagobah a train. Han and Leia get stuck in space and they have some sexual tension and they get invited to this weird planet and our fader lures him into a trap and luke has to fight him and vader's his father and it's all very awkward and luke gets his hand cut off yep and oh 26 seconds lucas i think you hit all the major plot points so i don't think you really talked about yoda who's pretty big in this you know i i was i was freaking out there i i feel like it's tough i haven't done it for my favorite movie yet but i'm really ruining the day that i decided this would be funny to watch other people do it because i'm eventually gonna have to do it and i actually think you did a really good job luke oh thank you you know originally um when we talked about this before i was gonna i was just gonna try to explain it badly like that um hashtag explain movies badly and then i was like that'll be really hard to do the entire movie like that so i feel like that's just that's a lot more like that that's a lot more effort than just like I'll just explain the plot. Yeah, I was trying to fit in like terrorist organization somewhere because I liked when someone on Twitter called the rebels a terrorist organization, but then I was like, I don't know where to go with this thing. <laughs> He's like, fine, I'll just do it. But you did it in twenty six seconds, and I think you did a very good job. So good job, but, Luke. You and you did what? the I first. Missed Yoda. Oh, go ahead. I you did miss Yoda. You did, but you did the very first thirty second summary, and I think you did a really great job. You know. I can honestly say it's probably the best one you've ever had on this show. You know what? I can honestly say that as well. And Lucas, yeah. who knows how long you'll hold this record? Who knows? Pro- probably until the, the next person. Let's be honest. That's, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> All right. So we're going to dive right in. Obviously, Empire Strikes Back um, has a lot of iconic moments and lines and characters. 
to you, what uh, what do you think is the most iconic thing about Empire Strikes Back? Like, out of lines, moments, characters, like, what to you stands out? Um, I don't know. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff, and it's not... I know it's pretty, like, mainstream to be like, oh, it's the best Star Wars movie, but I really do enjoy it. I think, for me, the best moment in the entire film is probably the fight between Vader and Luke, because I think it's probably, for me at least, the most emotionally impactful in all of Star Wars, but it's also very visually interesting, and when you think about it as a step up from A New Hope, which at the time was the only other Star Wars movie, it pretty much like set the tone for what fights could be, and I really enjoy it, like the atmosphere, the tone, the change of scenery throughout the fight, I think that's probably the best moment for me. What about you? I mean, that, I mean, I 100% agree with you. I think that scene, I mean, everything about that whole sequence on Bespin, their whole fight, and then it kind of, it has that abrupt, not like emotional climax of him being like telling Luke the truth and saying, no, I'm your father. I mean, it does. It sets the tone for a lot of what happens in the series, but that's what I noticed. And I don't know if you agree with this or not. Empire Strikes Back really did, does set the tone, especially for, I think, these newer films are very much products of this film. And, you know, I think this one is just, it really does set the bar. I agree with you. I think it is the best Star Wars movie. I think a lot of people agree. Yeah. I think what's interesting about you saying that it, like, sets the tone and stuff, which obviously I said first, haha, um, <laughs> is, like, I um, read this tweet by someone the other day, and I can't remember who it was, so sorry for paraphrasing or whatever, but he was saying how it was so interesting how because he was like 15 when the first Star Wars movie came out. He thought it was going to go in a completely different direction. And then in Empire is where you really see what we know of Star Wars now, if that makes sense. So like Star Wars, the first one is more like sort of like that fairy tale sort of movie, but it could really go in so many different directions. But what we see now is Star Wars is mainly from the dramatic points from Empire Strikes Back, I think he was trying to say, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, and I mean, it's. I think it's one of the, I, I, I'm assuming you kind of agree with it, because I definitely agree with it, especially I think like the characterizations of Han, Luke, and Leia, like, not that they're completely different characters from A New Hope, but this definitely sets the tone of how we remember them, and yeah. how how they are now. Um, and I do want to talk about it a little bit later, especially Luke, but I also want to talk about The Last Jedi, which I know is a little contentious in the Star Wars fandom. Uh, but I think that uh, especially Luke's character, especially as we see him in Last Jedi, is a direct result of this film right here. Uh, but we'll get back to that later. I'm hoping to talk about it. Um, obviously, this is your favorite movie of all time. But out of all the Star Wars films, do you do you genuinely believe this is the best Star Wars movie? And is this the one that you enjoy the most? I would say so. But I think because Star Wars is like my favorite, one of my favorite like things, like my favorite franchise, I've different moods so i like watching empire strikes back and i like overall i think it's probably my favorite film but sometimes i'll sometimes i'll be in the mood to watch the prequels you know what i mean it's not always like i want to watch things just because i'm like this is objectively the best thing because i don't think there is an objective best one sometimes i want to watch a really cool lightsaber fight so i'll watch the phantom menace sequence and stuff like that but i think overall i probably enjoy watching this one and return of the jedi the most i also really enjoy revenge of the sith and Rogue One, so. Yeah, 
No, completely. And I actually, I rewatched Empire Strikes Back prepping for this episode. And, you know, it's always one of those things. I always get a little worried when I go to rewatch something because I'm like, I know I really love this movie, but I hope it's the same, you know, like when I rewatch it. And I just had like a big grin on my face the whole time watching this. It's just, (laughs) I think it's an absolute blast from beginning to end. It really starts, I mean, it starts out just running and it just keeps going. Like the pace of this film is actually pretty incredible. Yeah, I think it's, it's pretty interesting rewatching it because obviously when I was, well, I don't know if this is obvious, I'm just saying obviously, but like when I was a kid, I don't think it was my favorite one because it feels so like stripped down. But when you watch it, you can really appreciate all of it. And it's like a very simple movie, but also there's a lot of layers to it. So I think that's something that makes it feel more special. Like it, it just feels good throughout. There's no parts that lag and there's no parts that really anyone would be like oh why did that happen you know that sort of stuff right the the progression of everything as it does because everything actually escalates rather quickly um and i think that uh, especially i mean obviously uh, lawrence kasdan's script is pretty fantastic i think he had a really good read on the characters but also part of it is also urban Kirshner who directed it and that mix of everything together i think they handled the pacing of it really well especially after new hope it was nice to see something that still star wars is still this thing that you love but it was a very different film from that first one yeah and i know that was like one of george lucas's aims was that he wanted every one of the films to feel different and to show something new but also be the same world so you can really see that and i find it interesting that this is the one of the original trilogy that he had the least involvement in but whenever you hear people talking about behind the scenes stuff about it they're like oh yeah george was there all the time and stuff so it's interesting how that how we view empire strikes back as as that product i think right i also really quickly before we move on to some more of the film, I do want to talk about the tone a little bit because this is, especially watching it this last time, it's a, not dark. It's not a dark Star Wars movie, but it, it ends fairly uh, unhappily because you have obviously all our heroes are scattered at that point and they've taken this blow. Like Luke has this emotional blow. They've lost Han. Um, and, you know, just everything's kind of up in the air. Do you like that tone of this movie? Because it does feel they are very much underdogs in this. And I kind of like that it doesn't end on a happy note. Yeah, I definitely like that because it's what's great about trilogies is that you get to see the beginning and then you get to see the middle bit and then where they usually suffer a lot. And then in the last part is the, the catharsis of all of it. And I think for me personally, the middle chapter of things is always my favorite. Like even though um, I really enjoy the first and third Lord of the Rings movies, I think the second one's my favorite just because I like seeing the low points for the characters and I really like seeing, I don't like seeing them suffer, but I like seeing them have to face the challenges and also lose sometimes. I think that's why people really like Avengers Infinity War as well because you had, it's sort of like Empire Strikes Back where they lose at the end and you don't really know what they're going to do about it. Obviously, Empire Strikes Back is more emotional loss than physical, a bunch of people dying. I was about to say, Lucas, obviously, I don't, I don't, I think like there's gonna be like two people who listen to this podcast, but (laughs) people are gonna hear you say, oh, Infinity War is just like Empire Strikes Back, you just started a Twitter thing. Oh, no, I don't mean it like that. I just mean like, (laughs) no, I understand what you were saying. I I know you understand. I don't, you know what, internet people, the, the two people that watch this, feel free to get mad at me. Oh, the two people that listen to this is gonna be mom. Mom and, and dad. my friend Maddie. And well, dad, dad might three. listen if he if he handles it. So three, 
maybe some other people, but I think that yeah, so, <laughs> I don't I think, think we're gonna cause a Twitter storm right away. But I think I think I'm safe. Don't worry. So I think you're good. I mean, um, but I oh, will say for the ending of Empire Strikes Back, you talked about all the sad points, but you forget about the good point. They get a new friend, Lando Calrissian. So that's pretty nice. It's nice to have friends. I was about to say, this is a great segue, because I do want to talk about the iconic characters that we do get in this movie, and Lando Calrissian is certainly one of them, as well as we get Yoda for the very first time, and we also get Boba Fett, who our father really loves, but me and you aren't really the big fans of Boba Fett. I mean, I don't mind Boba Fett, but I think, I don't know, I think you have to think about it the way that someone like Dad or people from that generation who grew up with these original movies he was just like a cool background character and it's also like they're like oh he's the most dangerous bounty hunter in the galaxy like they don't actually say that but it's like it was cool to think about who he was i think for us it just becomes something where like so many people are obsessed with boba fett and we're like all he does is like stand there and then he dies and return the jedi really quickly or maybe he's not dead who knows but i'm just like i'm not a huge boba fett person so I kind of went in when I rewatched it. I was going in and I was like, ah, oh, Boba Fett's in this movie. I forgot about that. But he actually, I kind of get the appeal a little more this time around because obviously I've seen Empire Strikes Back so many times, but there's so many other things I love about it. But I was like, let me focus a little more on Boba Fett. Let me see yeah. maybe if there's something I'm missing. But he's very cunning because he waits. He he lets himself get dumped with the garbage uh, while Han and the crew on the Falcon are waiting for the garbage to be dumped so they can jump to light speed to escape, which is smart on Han's part but it's also smart on Boba Fett's part so I kind of get a little more of that appeal. I think he's a really cool concept but I think when people I don't know I I would never be like oh Boba Fett's my favorite character. He has a cool design though and he takes out the trash so you can't complain about him. And I should say that we are recording this before Mandalorian or Rise of Skywalker is out Uh, so I don't know if maybe in Mandalorian maybe though I don't think because it's post Return of the Jedi I don't think they're going to go more into that but they might explain a little more on both of it. So, but we are recording this before either of those come out. So just oh, to it'd be some re- context. It'd be really cool if in The Mandalorian, somehow he got into the Sarlacc pit and he just finds old man Boba Fett. That'd be, right. that'd be pretty cool. Just kind of sitting down there. Um, so, but I also want, so let's, let's go on to who you mentioned before, Lando Calrissian, who is played by the absolutely wonderful Billy D. Williams and who is absolutely fantastic in this film. Lando's a lot of fun. Yeah, he's a really, he's a really interesting character. I think, the best thing he brings to the franchise is a new color for capes because I'm a big fan of capes and he really (laughs) he really rocks the blue I think he sort of because Han has more of the love story in this film he sort of fills in that shady Han role from the first movie whereas like you don't really know I don't know it's hard for me to like look at Empire Strikes Back as just as a new viewer because I've seen it so many times and I know what comes next so as a child, right. I was never like, oh, Lando Calrissian's shady. I was like, oh, he's the one that's helped them on Tatooine. But I can well, see that's... how he would be that like shady character where you don't know if you trust him or not. Well, that's super interesting to say because that is a really good point. So especially like because, you know, we're in our 20s. So by the time we were born, all three were out. We were able to watch all three back to back to back. So there was never this three year waiting period of knowing what to ha- what happens and stuff like that. So. I wonder how people, I, you know, we should we should ask like mom and dad sometime. Like, how did you view like 
Lando after that because Lando again in Return of the Jedi obviously he's very, he's very much on the rebellion side and very much an ally but in this even at the end like you said he's still sort of shady and I really I really love Lando in this I love how he really thought I think he was making the best deal possible and then he when he realized he got screwed over he was like kind of just fuck it like that's it yeah. well you know not, not on my watch the deal was getting worse and worse all the time. And, I know. That's one yeah. of my favorite lines. Uh-huh. I literally was just, I literally, as, <laughs> as that scene came on, I was watching it. I was like, oh, that's such a great line. Oh, and then, like, oh, just Lando. kept watching the movie. Oh, Lando. Um, yeah, I think and they, then Lucas. Oh, oh go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, no, I think no, no, go they, ahead. I think they, like, made him very understandable for why he was doing things. Which yes. is always, which is a real big strength of Star Wars, I think. I think you don't. You, even though you do have like the good and the bad, you do have clear character motivations, which I think help make the characters who don't know that much screen time stand out more, that sort of thing. Right. Well, clearly he was trying to protect the people that that looked to him, obviously, on Bespin and looked to him. I mean, like the Empire's coming in and either he can give up these people or his whole or all of Cloud City suffers. So you do see... He he really is a great character. I really do love Lando. I mean, I feel like I'm not articulating it as well as you are, but he's just a really great character. I, I feel like you have this um, passion for Lando that I never knew about. I didn't, Lucas, to be honest, I didn't fully realize it until I re Again, this rewatch of Empire Strikes Back has just awoken so many things in me. I know, you're, you're just like, Lando's the best character. No, we don't. I don't think Lando's the best character, but I think he's. I think he's very enjoyable, and I think he's he's a fun addition, especially with Han. I really love his back and forth with Han, and I do. I mean, you you do see their friendship. They are they're almost like frenemies. Like, and I know they tried to explore that a little more in Solo, but you know what I mean. Like, I, I do. I like their. I like their back and forth. I like their relationship. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is, and. I mean, I love how you say, like, oh, yeah, he's helping the people of Cloud City. And at the end of the movie, he's just like, I guess I'm going to leave now. <laughs> I was about to say, as soon as I said, I was like, oh, and then he's just kind of like deuces and like flies off. And then uh, especially this, this has always cracked me up, is that he's wearing like Han's clothes at the oh, very yeah. end as he takes off in the Falcon with Chewie. And I'm like, dude, go, you know, where's your, where's your cape? But... I don't. The thing is, I don't understand why he changed unless I'm forgetting something about the movie. I don't think anything happens to his clothes. And it's, like, within the span of, like, a couple of minutes, and he's just in Han's clothes. Yeah, and you're just, like, I mean, did, did no one think that was weird? I mean, that's not something that needs to be addressed, obviously, but, no. you know, curious minds do inquire why was the, why was that addressed. Hey, put him in Han's clothes. Everybody will really love this. Actually, I guess I guess he did, he did leave all of his clothes on Cloud City, didn't he? So he did have to make a hasty escape. That makes sense. I mean, I guess so, but they couldn't. They, the the rebellion didn't have like spare clothes. They he had to have Han's clothes. How is he even the same size? Are they the are they the same size? Uh, they're close enough, I guess. Maybe the, maybe because of all the stuff with Harrison Ford, they were like, Lando's basically going to be our new Han. So let's give the audience some visual visuals there. Let's put him in Han's clothes, and then I maybe, mean, because I think maybe in the next oh, movie ahead. we'll just call him a Hando if. Harrison Ford doesn't come back. Maybe that's why he was called Lando. You know, we don't know these things. I mean, I think we're asking questions that no one ever wanted to ask and no one ever really wanted answers to, but, you know, I think they're good questions all the same. You know, I think when I meet George Lucas, this is good. This is all we're going to talk about. Be like, what, 
I'm sure people have asked him before, like, why is Lando wearing Han's clothes? And he'll be like, I wasn't directing that movie. <laughs> I, he was like, I was not responsible for that. That was not a choice I would have made, but... Yeah. Um, so, and I do want to go really quickly to Yoda, who I think is probably, is he your favorite character of this film? I know you really like Yoda. I, I enjoy Yoda, yeah. I'm not like, Yoda's not like my favorite character ever, but he's he's up there. He's he's a, he's a good, he's a good egg. He's a good egg. Um, I think the interesting thing about Yoda is because as we were talking about how we viewed them when we were children, and because for me, since I was born in 97, I also the prequels were very prominent in my childhood as like, this is just what happened in Star Wars. It's not like I was waiting for them. Yoda was always like this really cool, like wise teacher to me. But like when I rewatched Empire Strikes Back, maybe as like an older teenager, when I was like fully understanding films and stuff, he's actually such an interesting character, how he's this big comic relief, but also the wise master, but how he's also like not telling Luke's what stereotypically to do right. He's more telling him to play the long game which I think is really interesting. Well, and I do kind of want to talk about that because it does shift really quickly, right? Like he is this comic relief when, when Luke crash lands on Dagobah and then the review, and then he very quickly within a couple minutes of meeting him, obviously it shifts to he's Yoda. He's the wise master and his tone completely changes after that. Once Luke kind of discovers the truth, which I always found, which, which I always found kind of interesting because it, it it's not abrupt, but it does feel a little abrupt. I think it's, it's probably, I think, I mean, I think I've heard George Lucas say this, but maybe I'm pulling it out of my ass. I think he wanted to go with like the fairy tale trope of having like the wise old wizard seem just like a normal person. And obviously Yoda can't seem like a normal person. So he's sort of like, he, he appears to be a fool, but he's not. What I find really right. interesting with Yoda is that he's a much, in my opinion, he's a much better teacher than Obi-Wan is. And I think it's interesting that Star Wars, which is seen as like this huge mainstream movie, has that like nuance of the two different types of teaching. Because I I love Obi Wan, but I think Obi Wan, he's very self centered and he doesn't have like the perspective that Yoda does. So like he just he just wants Luke to kill Vader. He doesn't understand the emotional cost of it. Maybe he does, and that's why he doesn't want it to happen. Whereas Yoda brings sort of this more mature perspective to it. If that makes any sense. It does. No, I think there are two very different teachers. And it's interesting how it's interesting that they both decide to keep stuff from Luke. Uh, it's such a I think Luke would have benefited from knowing some information, but Luke is very emotional. So I, I understand that. But even I, I well, I kind of get it, though, them keeping stuff, especially after Luke's uh, after Luke goes into the cave on Dagobah. And he he deliberately Yoda says you you know you don't need any weapons you don't need them and Luke deliberately puts on his belt with the lightsaber and goes down there. So I kind of especially the older I've gotten I understand it, but it's always interesting that they both decided even though they're both very different teachers to keep things from Luke. Yeah, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's weird that they do that, but you can also see why because they I guess it's more explored in the prequels so. We don't know if this was the full plan the entire time, but in the actual Star Wars story, like you see how Anakin reacts to emotional hardness, and obviously Obi Wan and Yoda shouldn't judge Luke off of that, but they obviously are. And also, I think part of it is just good storytelling of having, you know, these adult figures that you look up to, and they're still not giving you everything, still treating them like a child. 
And so I really like right. that part of it. And I also like in Return of the Jedi that he like calls them out on it as well. Yeah, and I think, I, well, that's the other thing is Luke very much, I think he left his training a little too soon in Empire Strikes Back, but he learned from that. And he learned, especially because Luke is, is very different, is a very different Luke in all three movies, actually. And it is obviously it's character growth, but especially between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, you do see this growth and maturity in Luke where he, I think he's forgiven them for keeping things from him, but at the same time, it's still that, that kind of 18-year-old inside of him saying, why did you keep this from me? Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing about Luke is he's never very, he's never, like, vindictive. He goes from, he grows up quite a bit, and it's also, like, because he was searching for something the entire time, when he finds out that Vader is his father, of course he's like, oh my god. But also, I think it's something that he always wanted, so he... He's not as mad at Obi-Wan and Yoda about it as he could have been, because it's better than his father being dead in some ways to him. But also, it, right. from an outside perspective, it's it's just good storytelling to have stuff hidden from your main character when it's about him growing up. Right, and obviously, we when, we, when we're on Dagobah, we are seeing things from Luke's point of view. Um, and I always like that because it's so fun when your protagonist is obviously the narrator, and they're the unreliable narrator, and they don't know they're the unreliable narrator. I love stuff like that. Um, you see a lot of that, especially I think J.K. Rowling, when she did Harry Potter, you see a lot of that in Harry Potter. And I think I, I, people always kind of make similarities between Star Wars and Harry Potter. And I think that she she saw that that worked, that your protagonist is unwillingly this unreliable narrator. And as they discover things and unfold it, it just gets like heavier and heavier, which I've always really liked. Yeah, like in some ways, like some of those young protagonists, they can't understand why people would keep stuff from them. But it's more of a... It's more complicated than just, oh, it's wrong to lie to people, which is, is a good thing to put into mainstream media, right. especially when it's about like coming of age and becoming a better person. And I think what Luke represents is showing that the Jedi, to quote, uh, to quote Sheev Palpatine, the dogmatic views of the Jedi, like that there is good and there is evil, doesn't always work. And I think Luke is that good middle ground because he goes away early for his family. and. I think that's a really interesting thing to have. I agree. Um, so I do want to shift a little bit because while we're talking about a little bit of Luke's time on Dagobah, I do want to talk about the locations of this movie and how there's not very many look. They don't move a lot in this movie. They're kind of in the same places, but the big main locations, obviously Hoth in the beginning, but you also have Dagobah as well as the Millennium Falcon plays a huge role as a location in this film. And then, of course, we go to Cloud City in Bespin. Um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about Han and Leia's storyline and about a lot of their story on the Millennium Falcon and how that location and that confined space is kind of used really well in this film. And I just want to know if you agree with that or if you feel like maybe they spent too much time on the Falcon. Just kind of want to get your thoughts on that. No, I think it's interesting. I think it would have, in another in another film, you could see it as well, they have to stop off at a bunch of places and maybe make a deal or something. Like if the movie was made now, I don't know if that sort of slow pace would happen so it's quite it's really interesting to see them in that confined space because you see how their relationship has changed from the first movie and i think even though there's those hints at the beginning on half if you didn't have them stuck in one place moving at like what is respectively like a snail's pace because they don't have a hyperdrive you're able to see all of this built-up tension being released in them and i i my favorite parts of the han and leia stuff is whenever they're about to like 
whenever they're doing their romantic stuff and then C-3PO walks in and it's just really awkward. Like those are, those are my favorite scenes of Han and Leia in the movie. But I think... Well, so much, it's... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I... Uh... No, you can go. Corny, cut Oh, it. no, I messed with you. I'm cut sorry. This part. Cut the part. Uh, <laughs> see, I'm already a bad host. I interrupted no. you. What I was going to say is that I like that in the Millennium Falcon where they kind of do, even though it's a confined space, they do have space to kind of go off on their own, each, every person on there. And it's so funny when they have this moment alone when there shouldn't be any, any interruptions that... C-3PO wanders through, which always just kind of cracks me up. Um, yeah, but you also have to wonder, like, that ship's not that big, so it's like, but what are you, why are you guys doing right. this in front of everyone? Come on. Chewie's just, right. just like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Chewie's just like, I'm trying to fix the fucking hyperdrive, and these two, I, I can't. C-3PO keeps wandering everywhere, he's no help. Like, I can we all just fix this so I can get off this damn ship. That's probably what Chewie's yeah, thinking. I, I would love to see his like actual um, subtitles, because you know, people always always like, oh, okay, Chewie. It's like, what if he's not even saying any of that stuff? What if it's, what if he's just... I was, yeah. Well, I was thinking it'd be funny if, like, Han just pretends to understand Chewie. Like, like he doesn't really understand him. He's like, well, Chewie, no one, no one else speaks uh, speaks Wookiee, so I'm just gonna go ahead and uh, pretend like I understand him. And Chewie's probably like, what the fuck is this guy saying? <laughs> I did not say that whatsoever, but good on you. We don't even we don't even know if Chewie's is, is as a uh, sentient as Han makes him seem. Maybe he is just like a big dog. We don't know. We don't know anything. About exactly. Him. So you know, they should have explored that in Solo. They should have. You know, had him teaching Han Wookie. That would be interesting. Missed missed opportunities in Solo. It seems like there were a couple missed opportunities. Just, just a few. Um, what I was going to say though is relating to the slower pace in the confined space in that rhyme. Um, have you seen the? This is a question I want to ask you. Have you seen the theories like about how long Empire Strikes Back takes place over? Because in my mind, when I was a kid, I always thought it was like. A day or two, but with the broken hyperdrive and stuff, I've seen theories that it's like months or weeks. I was just interested in what you think of that, because in my mind, I think it's probably like a few weeks because it seems like a long time, but it can't be that long because Luke isn't that well trained yet. Right. So I, I'm kind of like you, like as a kid, because of, because of the way the movie is, obviously, and as a kid, I think you don't really have a great concept on time. So you're just kind of like, oh, this was this. Oh, what, what a day they had! One full twenty-four hour day. Oh my god! And so, but like, yeah, like, oh my god! But I have seen that, especially I think with um, some of the novelizations of the films as well. I think it is over. I want to say it's like a month. If I'm sure, I, I don't know for sure, and I'm sure if, if this episode ever does get big, someone will correct us you know, and say, no, no. We have our two. We have our two internet followers, and I don't think they care. So that's fine. That's very true. Uh, but, you know, if they could find out, that'd be great. Yeah. But I think it's like, I think it, I don't think it's more than a month. I think it's a good amount of time. Uh, like you said, Luke's not very well trained, which makes me think it maybe it isn't a month. Maybe it's only like two or three weeks. But, but, but let's be honest, Yoda does dick him around a bit. Like there's a full, there's a full dick around. <laughs> that would probably take about, I would say that would be at least four days. So four days. So are we doing a dissection of this timeline of how long we think it is without looking it up? No, I mean, I'm saying I've looked it up and I can't find a conclusive answer. I mean, I'll say that, but now, now I, I will look it up and there probably is one. Well, I, I think it's a month. I think because of everything that happens, I think I remember reading it somewhere. I'm pretty sure it's like a month. 
obviously it's a long enough time because uh, like and this is another thing han and leia's relationship because it not it doesn't really feel quick i actually think it's very well paced out because obviously those, those feelings are there before they they have to go on the millennium falcon together but it does feel like there's some growth especially when they get to bespin they're very intimate with one another they stay close to one another um they like you know han kisses her on the forehead and stuff like that like there's this new level of intimacy that i think only grows with time so obviously some time has passed from when they leave hoth to when they arrive on best yeah i mean it's just it's just something that like interests me it doesn't change the movie at all for me if like if someone were to be like oh it it's it's two days or oh it's a month but i think it's just interesting to think about because it was something i didn't think about as a kid and i think Star Wars above every other movie that I loved as a child is the one where I'm like, my ideas about this franchise changed so much as I grew up, but I still love it the same. So it, it's just interesting it's to think so, about. It's a different sort of love, though, because I, I've definitely experienced this. Because, like, as a kid, obviously, I, I think I'm with you on this. Like, as a kid, like, Return of the Jedi was my favorite because it, it is very much not the flashiest, but it's very much like, oh, hey, here's a lot of just really fun stuff. Yeah. Whereas A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back really do do that world building. And obviously, I very much love A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, and I liked it as a kid. But when you are a kid, it's fun to see, like, everything in, in Return of the Jedi is kind of just, like, balls to the wall. Just like, hey, here's just a ton of fun stuff right away. Yeah, Return of the Jedi is like the, the cool ant. You know, like, Luke's all dressed in black, might have some sunglasses on at some point. It's just, like, the cool one of the franchise of the original trilogy, I think. I, I do agree. I think it's like, it, you know, it, it went it went on like, you know, like a year long holiday and it came back and it's all like yeah European and stuff now. And you're just like, all right, yeah. I like this. I dig yeah, this. Yeah, Luke had a big blow up, you know, he comes in full cloak in it and you're just like, what are you, Luke, what are you doing? I mean, I'm, I'm here for it, but what are you doing? I mean, he did, he just, he was like, oh, uh, well, I also like the whole, the all black to me now kind of cracks me up. Cause like, could you be projecting that you are Darth Vader's son anymore? Like loudly? Like, he's like, oh, I don't know. I still don't know who my father is. It's like everybody, mm. like it's Darth Vader. Cause you dress exactly like yeah. him. You dumb, dumb. I found out who my dad is. Want to take a guess? I also, I've always, <laughs> this is the one thing that hasn't changed for me from being a child to being an adult is I've always loved that he only wore one glove it's like just to cover his robot hand it's like why don't you wear two gloves it would bother me so much not to wear two gloves i can't wear one glove i can't wear one sock you know what i mean you know well especially like like his hand looks like a hand why are you even wearing a glove i know but it's i that's luke's just desperate for attention isn't he, he dresses all in black he's got the one glove just so people ask him oh did you get your hand cut off yeah i did actually my dad did it he's darth vader by the way <laughs> He like purposely like just like leave, like when he's sitting down, he has that hand out just like kind of and you know making a point not to look at it, but it's out there like you can't help but ask. Yeah. And everybody, probably everybody, like on the rebel base, they're like, Fuck. someone just asked Luke about his hand. He really wants to talk about it today. No one's asked him yet. Can we? Can someone ask him just so we can get this over? Come with? on, guys, take one for the team. Come on, guys. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I also want to go back to Dagobah for a second, anyway. particularly. <laughs> Uh, Dagobah, the environment on Dagobah, and also obviously the cave scene is very important, um, especially with Luke facing himself and seeing his fear that he could become Vader, which I think is a little bit realized, especially later when he learns, A, that Vader is his father, and B, he gets his hand cut off, and he looks at his hand at the end, his mechanical hand, and even though it's kind of real, it's fake, 
I do want to go a little bit into that cave scene, but also just Dagobah as a whole, which also rewatching it, didn't realize how many snakes were on Dagobah, <laughs> and I'm not here for yeah. it at all. Well, I mean, we have, uh, where do I start with the, yeah, the snakes, let's start with that. Um, obviously, oh, growing, growing oh. up in Florida, we had our fair share of snakes, so Dagobah never seemed like too appealing to me, because I was just like, I've seen a swamp before, it looks like this. But, like, as an adult, um, just knowing about, like, the set of Dagobah, how it was, like, huge and, like, the layers of it for the puppets, it just seems so, it's so detailed and so cool. I would give- It's a great yeah. set. I mean, it's absolutely, that, that, that set, that whole set piece is just absolutely amazing. I would say for me, the best moment in Dagobah, because I do like the cave and it obviously has a lot of meaning emotionally and physically and also, like, I guess you could even relate it back to... Plato's cave if you want to do that but let's not do that because I don't can't think of a good analogy for that I think for me the best scene on Dagobah is probably when Yoda is lifting up the X-Wing just because it's the first I would say I don't know because it's hard for me to think in the timeline but I think from that movie and the first movie it's the first like real show of what the force can do and how the like the like wonder of it and I think the music on that, um, I think the track is called Yoda in the Force. When that swells, like one is. of the most wonderful moments in a movie that I've seen. So I do want to talk a little bit about that because I want to talk about the soundtrack as a whole because the soundtrack is actually really great. Um, but Yoda in the Force, I completely agree that, that it's this innocence and wonder. It's that mysticism of the Force that we get to see when he's lifting the X-Wing out. And then let me tell you, when I rewatched it this past the a uh, couple weeks ago, man, I got chills. Like that whole, that everything about that one scene, I think it's, I think it's a perfect scene because obviously John Williams score is obviously iconic, but Yoda in the force, it really does capture that, that sense of wonder. And I I completely agree with you seeing, seeing him lift the X-wing out of the water, especially after Luke has this moment of, I can't. And Yoda's like, like Yoda obviously is like, yes, you can. Obviously, look at look how small I am, and I'm able to do this. But also just to show him, uh, just to show him that again, the wonder is the only thing I can use yeah. for it. It's just, it's absolutely and phenomenal. It's just, it's just funny as well because it's such a wonderful, like, amazing scene, and it's just it the Yoda's just there, like, of course you can do this, just fucking do it. Like he's so frustrated about it too. <laughs> Especially when Luke's like, oh, it's just, it's just impossible. Then like, kind of sits down with a huff, like yeah. throws himself to the again. Luke is Luke is very dramatic. Yeah. I mean, I just he's an he's an icon, isn't he? He's just he's he's not he's he not is. one to be trifled with. He's got a lot of issues, and that's why we love. He him. does. I just I do like how he like throws himself to the ground. He's like, I can't do it. Ugh. And then like throws know, himself like, to the ground. And Yoda's like, bitch, bitch, watch this. I mean, dude, I, I see both sides because Yoda is like, come on, you need to you need to like fight Vader. But also, Luke's been doing backflips. He lifted some rocks. Like, give him, as we said with the timeline, we don't know how long this has taken, but he's doing pretty well, you know? I was, his backflip is very, very amazing. With with Yoda on his back, no less. Yeah. Like, he does some pretty awesome gymnastics moves. And I find it really impressive that Mark Hamill did all of that, too. So I'm just like, you know what? You go, Mark. You go and do that. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you, do, you do you, Mark. Yeah. And especially when Yoda's like, Oh no, he's too old. I don't want to teach him. It's like, and now you're telling him that he has to lift the sex wing? God, Yoda. You know, I haven't rewatched The Empire right. Strikes Back recently, but I did rewatch the 1990s Hercules. 
And Yoda sounds a lot like Philatides. I'm just going to say that. Uh, Yoda is a lot like Philatides. Very kind of down on him initially. And you're like, dude, you gotta, you gotta be a little positive. Yeah. Like, even if it's just like, hey, I really liked how you did that back then. You know, That's all these you gotta are, say. These are early 20s people that you're dealing with. You you have to think about their emotional state, okay, Yoda? Like, I was, They're still emotionally compromised. They're not, you know what, like, like, they're just realizing now life kind of sucks. That's what your early 20s are. Lucas, you're still in your early 20s. Yeah. That's what it is. Life is, like, guess what? Life doesn't get any You know better. what? It's going to always be like Luke's, this. Luke's <laughs> biggest achievement was, like, blowing up the Death Star, and he's been doing this for, like, a year after now, and he's like, I haven't done anything that cool, and I don't even know how to be a Jedi. I can move my lightsaber sometimes. I cut off some, some dude's arm, you know? He's going through a lot, and Yoda's not very considerate. He's very impatient about it. He, he's not very considerate, but I guess that's what makes a good teacher. Because you pointed out Hercules, it also it worked for Philatides and it worked for Yoda eventually at some yeah, point. Yeah, but I guess what it, Hercules's message is more: don't be a hero, fall in love. So there we go. I don't think that's what the message. I think <laughs> I think it's you can. I, I, I'm not debating Hercules with you. That's not what you know. What, podcast, but we can have another podcast where we de- where we debate the '90s animated Disney. Yeah, let's talk about the Disney Renaissance and let's talk about Hercules. I mean, I'm happy to. That soundtrack still is amazing. What, I'm just what, putting it out there. What's a better soundtrack, John Williams' The Empire Strikes Back or Hercules? Well, don't make me do this because obviously John Williams. This is an iconic soundtrack. It's super great, but obviously. Hercules' soundtrack, I think, is the best Disney animated soundtrack. You can't, you can't deny it. You know, it. I'm not trying to deny it, but technically, The Empire Strikes Back is now a Disney soundtrack, isn't it? It is, so... Oh, there you man. go. You just put me in a corner, because I just said Hercules has the best Disney soundtrack, this, this, and you just made me look like a fool. This entire podcast was meant to trap you. That, that was the whole point of this. Wow, we're all, I'm only one episode in, we're 40 minutes in, and I've already been yeah, trapped. There you go. This is... The two audience members are really going to enjoy this. (laughs) I was about to say, I hope they tweet about it. That's all I can ask. Good, good. Um, So we have one more location I want to talk about. Um, I I do want to go back to Hoth in a little bit, but but I do want to talk about Cloud City and Bespin, which I didn't realize how much I loved Cloud City. Until I rewatched it this last time, I uh, it's it's colorful. It's this just seeing it kind of floating in the clouds, and I, just like do you. Uh, this is gonna sound so dumb. Like, do you like Cloud City? Do you like? It's also another one of those where you're kind of contained because there's nowhere really to go because they are this floating. City, yeah, which we find later when Luke falls through the ventilation shaft and almost obviously dies. Yeah, <laughs> like, I think my favorite thing about Cloud City is that it's always like sunset or sunrise like you can't really tell and and probably that's like the gas that they're mining or whatever but it's just it's such an iconic location and it's so different from everything that we had seen in star wars before that and it's such a contrast to where luke was in the swamp so it's so interesting and i think just how they created all the worlds is just something that i really enjoy and so like i love looking at the behind the scenes stuff but i think for the story having Cloud City seem like this sort of like really elite place, but it's a place where shady things are going on too. It's something that's interesting and not always touched upon, which I like that it's subtle, but it's also there. Well, I was about to say because uh, Cloud City is very much this this gilded city, right? Because it is, it's very beautiful. 
And like you said, it's constantly either sunrise or sunset. So it's always this, these gorgeous oranges and pinks and it's, it's lovely, but it is, it gets increasingly more and more dangerous the longer they're there. And the city itself does not obviously the situation escalates when the empire arrives and Luke goes to confront Vader, but the city itself gets more and more dangerous and actually becomes, it's it's interesting because it does become almost a protagonist against our, our heroes a little bit. An antagonist. An antagonist, excuse me, not protagonist, antagonist, excuse me. I haven't had I haven't had my second cup of coffee yet. I've only had I'm looking forward to the next uh, Star Wars solo film, Cloud City, the new protagonist. Hey, you know, <laughs> hey, you know what? They could finally give Lobot the movie he you deserves. Know. That Lobot shout out was solely for Mom, there we go. who absolutely loves Lobot. There you go, Mom. I mentioned it because she learned an obscure character's name and then was like, Lobot, I'll love him forever. But Dude, Lobot's kind of badass. Lobot has one of my favorite shots of the film when, like, Lando's subtly, like, on his watch, like, trying to call for help once he realizes, like, he's in the situation that's over his head. And it's really cool when Lobot's just kind of sitting there with his eyes closed and they pop open. I think it's a cool shot. I think it's a cool scene. It's a cool shot. There's a lot of cool shots in here. But, you know, I don't think Lobot is to uh, Mom what Boba Fett is to others, you know? That's very true. Um, But, yeah, back to your original point. I think it is interesting how on the surface Cloud City looks very appealing, but as the story goes on, it gets more and more dangerous. And also how as you descend through it, like Luke's literally descending in the fight and he's also losing in the fight. And my one of my favorite shots is when him and Vader are fighting and Vader just goes like full force, like fast in the wide shot, if you know what I'm talking about, when he's when Luke like almost falls off the yes. thing. That's I think it's yeah. really cool how they designed that planet yes um and just again because it is that antagonist too like it literally because you know they have the obviously they have the carbon breathing chamber and when the little gangplank that uh vader and luke go out onto honestly that that lightsaber fight was a lot more brutal than i remembered like as a kid like it's a great fight because it, it's just increasingly brutal like both of them are just like hammering at yeah. each other the whole time, which is super interesting. Yeah, well, you should uh, you should rewatch Return of the Jedi and when Luke goes crazy in that one, and just starts bashing him over it like. <laughs> My favorite thing about Return of the Jedi is when Darth Vader just kind of yeets his yeah. lightsaber at Luke, and then just kind of like I I was watching like this is so dorky. I was watching like all the all the lightsaber fights from Star Wars the other day on YouTube, and that's one of them. And I, it just made me laugh because I was like, "What are you doing?" I mean. It- it's pretty like, effective. It makes the catwalk fall down, but it's it is. A, it's very. It's just funny to see him like chug it that, and just like. It, I I have, chug I have it, to I love chug that uh, that scene because um, it led to all, in all the video games you're able to throw your lightsaber, and if that didn't happen, it would never have happened. So thanks, thanks, Vader. That Vader, Vader helping you, helping you look cool in in the in the games since uh, 1980. Yeah. or nineteen eighty three. Excuse uh, me. Sorry. Funny, who um, are you? I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, since we are on Cloud City, I do want to talk about another really iconic scene. Obviously, Han gets frozen in carbonite to be handed over to Boba Fett because they need to also ch- uh, make sure that it works because that's how Vader wants to transport Luke to the Emperor. And we also get the iconic, I love you, I know. So I want to talk about a little bit about that iconic scene. And also we touched on a little bit earlier about Han and Leia's relationship as well. And like kind of just your thoughts on all of those. 
Yeah, I think it's a really interesting culmination because obviously that, as I touched on at the very beginning, that location of the carbonite freezing chamber is just one of my favorite locations because of the way that it's lit and the atmosphere of it. But I think it's a cool culmination to have Han frozen in that scene because you've had this love story throughout the um, film and it's a love story that doesn't feel like it's just tacked on. It's like, it's one of the focuses of the movie. And I think as we were talking about Empire making Star Wars um, what it is today, that brought the more dramatic and romantic elements to it. So I think it made it more adult because even if you, Luke's story is very emotional and it's also very heavy. But I think if it was just about a family, it might be seen as still for a younger audience. Whereas you have this romantic plot in there, which is very interesting to watch. Like it was never my favorite thing as a kid, but it's something that I really appreciate. And it's a romance that feels very organic. Yes, I agree. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on the lines. Obviously, I love you. I know because I've always like I've always really loved that Han. Very, I think Han very hard and fast fell very hard and fast for Leia. And I think he's been showing throughout the film, obviously, like little ways that that he is in love with her and that he does love her. And I really love that she feels in this moment before she might never see him again. She's like, she wants to let him know I love you. And he just goes, I know. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I know you don't need to tell me. I understand that's not maybe something that, you, you know, like that you, but he, her saying that is huge for her character as well. But I think she's been showing it equally back to him, but she feels like she's about to lose this forever. Yeah, I think, well, like, as it is famously known that Harrison Ford, like, had the idea to change it from I Love You Too. But I think it is, like, one of the most Han Solo things you could say, because it almost means more than saying I Love You Too, because saying he knows is like, yes, I know, I've and I've been trying to show you the whole time, too. Like, it is just that acceptance is more than, rather than them revealing it to each other, it's more just them continuing and accepting each other, if that doesn't sound too right. cringy, but... No, I don't think it does because, it, and like you said, like it is very Han Solo, and I know everybody's always like, "Oh, that's so badass," but it's also like, no Han, like you know, it's it's a great, mo it's very romantic. It's a great moment. I'm glad it's not "I love you too" because that's something that, you know, you can hear in any other movie. "I love you," "I love you too." This I know, like because he has been showing her this whole time, and I think she's afraid that maybe he doesn't know. So for I think that's more reassuring to her also yeah. hearing. For, for him to say to her, I know, like, he's he's almost reassuring her, like, you you know, you didn't fuck this yeah. up. I know. And also, we both we both feel this thing. Yeah. And also, I don't, I don't think it would sound genuine having him say I love you too, because as you say, it's him showing that he's not just being a scoundrel. He He's known the entire time, and it's just the confirmation of that. And I do... Right, and he's let her set the pace, yeah. almost. And, um... The the other random shot that I love from that scene is when he's about to get carbonated and he lifts his chin up really quickly. I don't know why I like that so much. I'm just like, nice. Oh, it's uh, like, like it's just really cool because he's. It's almost like he. It's almost his way of I think kind of saying like fuck you to Vader and stuff. But it's real. It is. It's a really cool moment, and I don't know why it's so like kind of like you said. Like I don't know yeah. why I like it, and I think it's so cool. But it, it's very Han. It's very badass. Like like fuck it. I'm putting my chin up. Like, yeah. I my other, uh, one of my other favorite moments from the movie comes from that little pit too, and that's when Vader finally gets Luke into it, and then in the background you just see Luke like jump up really quick, but because of the effects, it's just, it's just it's, like sped up, like, and I, I just love it. 
I'm not going to lie, it made me laugh a little bit this past time watching it. I was like, I mean, like, it's still kind of, it's cool because that's a cool Jedi power, which they explore a little bit more in the prequels, like them able to jump those great distances. Yeah. But like, like you said, like the way, obviously with the technology they had in, in the 80s and late 70s, like it just, it, it, it doesn't look goofy, but it, it's very funny. Yeah, I, it's just, it's one of my favorite moments. Like sometimes I'll, I'll watch the fight and I'll just rewatch that part a bunch of times. And you're just like, that fight, I mean, I'm telling you, like, this past time watching, I was like, shit, this fight is intense, like, the whole time. And it's a great fight. Yeah, especially especially how it starts with, like, Vader standing on the raised platform as well, in the silhouette. You know, that's where Luke gets his uh, dramatics from in Return of the Jedi. He's like, you know what, my dad's a dick, but he knows how to put on a show, so we're gonna do it. As... As is it, I don't think, you know, as dramatic as Luke Skywalker is, I don't think there's a being in that whole universe that is more dramatic than Anakin Skywalker. No, of course not. And he, he's, mean, good at, he's good at one thing, and he's going to do it well. And he's going to show everyone that my favorite, um, one of my favorite Darth Vader moments actually doesn't come from the live action. It comes from um, the, oh, what's it called? Star Wars Rebels at the end of season two. They're in this like temple, and there's this fight going on. And Vader just comes up on a Tie Fighter that he's using the Force to lift up, and he's just standing on it. It's like you could have just flown in here, you could have walked up the stairs. What are you doing? Oh, my favorite, my favorite Vader moment. It's actually not part of the main trilogy. It comes from Rogue One, the last like five minutes, where like there's the smoke, and all of a sudden he makes his lightsaber go extend, like he ignites it, and it goes really slow yeah. before he starts just like killing all the rebels, and you're just like. It's it's absolutely great, but why are you such a drama yeah, queen? I mean, you could have just what are you doing standing in the smoke like he's that? Like, come, come on, notice me, come on. Yeah, I do. Well, he also held back his he had to he had to stop his breathing yeah. a little bit because he breathes really heavy. So he's like completely quiet. <laughs> like he's like, I'm gonna hold my breath and ignite my lights really slow, and it's gonna look bad. I wonder if he has like a volume button and he just turns it down. He usually turns it up for <laughs> like really quickly. He turns it up because he knows always like, Palpatine. He's just, yeah, Palpatine's just like, can you turn that down? No, no sorry, sorry, I can't. I can't. It's, it's stuck on the setting. Sorry, bro. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, Anakin Skywalker. I mean, if that, Luke got his dramatics from somewhere, and it wasn't Padme. Yeah, Padme, Padme is too chill. Like, she, I, I can't even think of a like moment where Padme's like, acting out of, like, oh, I'm so dramatic, or like acting irrationally. She's just a rational person. Good for her. I will say... Yeah, Padme, Padme always kept, like, a level head. Although... I think, I feel like Leia's, like, a, a, a an odd mix of both of her parents. Yeah. The one thing I wish... Because she does have Anakin yeah, in her. The one thing I wish we had more of in the original trilogy was more um, exploring the relationship between Leia and Vader, but I think you have... Because you have them in so many scenes together in A New Hope, but it's not really after like you don't see what the effects are or like how they interact with each other because Vader has no idea that that's his daughter so I, I think that would have been interesting to see right I also actually this brings up an interesting point um obviously the Emperor so Vader learned something obviously during this film as well as Luke uh the Emperor reveals that Obviously, Luke Skywalker, his last name is Skywalker, so Vader had to have some idea. But he gets confirmation from the Emperor that Luke is indeed his son. Um, which I think that's a pretty big... I mean, that's a pretty big emotional reveal for Vader. It obviously um, sets the tone for everything that Vader does after this. Also, I thought this was really interesting. In the opening crawl of Empire Strikes Back, 
it does say Vader obsessed with finding young Skywalker. I've, the word obsessed really stuck out to me there, which I thought was just interesting. Maybe no one else finds it yeah. interesting, but I thought that was really interesting. Um, so maybe we'll go a little bit into that about Vader gets this. I, obviously, again, Luke's last name is Skywalker, so he had to have some idea. But I think this confirmation, this confirmation, especially from the Emperor and that the Emperor knew, I think is a bigger thing for Vader. Yeah, I think the Emperor always has something going on, doesn't he? And I think even though you say it sets the scene for what he's going to do in the next movie, I still think Return of the Jedi has this great show of how it's still hard for Vader to break free of that because he still, I think part of him still wants to bring Luke just over to the dark side. He doesn't want to overthrow Palpatine because he's scared of him. Right. So I think, it's, it's... yeah, that's, it's interesting and it's, the other interesting thing about all of the Palpatine scenes is that in the original version of the chimpanzee eyes, which, looking up on YouTube, I'm glad that they've replaced him. <laughs> like, it, it was just so weird. But I don't know if anyone's, like, very much attached to the chimpanzee-eyed version. I'm sorry if you are. But for me, it, just, it takes all of the, like, dramatic weight from Palpatine. Right. Well, and obviously you have Ian McDermott use him, put him to good use. I, that's one of those special edition things that I don't mind them adding. And actually, I don't think they didn't change much from Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. I think they like added some things on Cloud City like to see more of Bespin. And I think they added Ian McDermott. And obviously, they changed the voice of Boba Fett from Jeremy Bullock to... Um, Tamara Morrison. Uh, Tamara Morrison. So, like, I mean, but other than that, there's no major changes. Like, A New Hope in Return of the Jedi obviously had some big shifts. Yeah, I it's pretty it's pretty famous for being the one that he changed the least of, but I think that also links back to what you were saying about like the limited locations. So there wasn't like tons of Right. There's not tons of world building going on in Empire Strikes Back. It's more it's definitely like the most emotional. I would say probably for me, of all of the Star Wars movies, like it's the one that's focused on the emotions more than anything else. I agree. I do agree with that. Um it it was actually watching it like obviously it's almost like I still have like a kid memory of Empire Strikes Back. So every time I watch it as an adult, I you know it's almost one of those like shit. Look at this movie. Like look at look at everybody's very raw in this movie. Yeah. Like and it's it's and it's in a great and they're all raw in different ways. Especially with our our main trio of Luke Han and Leia. Like they are all very much on display emotionally in this film and i think that's really great and it's all in completely different ways which is just fascinating yeah it's a very interesting character study that still has like a great plot to it it's not one of those movies where it's just a character study and then it's sort of everything around it doesn't feel that consequential like it's right. it's it's a really good balancing act of different things and as you say it's about emotional turmoil and i think that's going back to what i said earlier that's what's so great about the middle part of a story because you can have that without a clear resolution for them but still have them having some growth right right i, I mean it's absolutely fantastic I it's just like I, I, again i really love this movie so it's like one of those it's like i you know i could i think we could probably talk about this all i know i could talk about star wars all day i'm very annoying especially with the new movie almost out but it's just one of those like it, it is it's such a fun movie um, I do really quickly want to go back to the soundtrack as well, because we talked a little bit about Yoda and the Force, which I actually, I think it might be my favorite track on this one. Um, I know you're really big with the soundtrack. You really love the Star Wars soundtracks. Um, how do you think Empire Strikes Back whole soundtrack ranks with all the other Star Wars films? 
Well, I don't really think about them in ranks, but I think for me it's the one with the most iconic scores on them. Like, all of them have really great scores on them. Like, you have Duel of the Fates from Phantom Menace and stuff. But this is the one that, like, introduces the Imperial, Imperial March. You have Yoda and the Force. You have Han and Leia's theme. And then so and then it's building on, like, um, binary sunset and stuff. Um, so I think this is... I don't know. I would say the first one, Star Wars, A New Hope, is probably the one I listen to the most. But Empire Strikes Back has a lot of right. iconic tracks on it that I really like. So... Well, and it's such a it's such a spectrum of of everything. Like it's a spectrum of emotions because you have like Yoda in the Force, which has this wonder and this curiosity, and you have Han and the Princess, which is Han and Leia's theme, which they've continued to use in the in the sequel trilogy. And it's this very romantic swell, and it's it it just it feels like romance. And then you have like the asteroid field, which is just kind of fun, but there's this danger to the fun. Yeah. And then I do want to talk a little bit about the Imperial March especially because they just kind of blast it in the middle of some softer pieces, which I know you've mentioned Yeah, before. what I love about the, when, you, if, when you listen to the soundtrack, because obviously it's in there from the movie, so there's, there's always the impending the Empire coming and you see the Star Destroyers, but when you listen to the soundtrack, you're just like, this is a nice song, and it's like, bam, 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 and you're like, oh my god, like, it's like he turned up all the volume on it as well. But I think that's great to have on there because it shows the presence of the Empire. I also think the Imperial March is probably maybe the most famous score from Star Wars. So it's interesting that it comes from this movie, whereas I would have thought that it came from A New Hope when I was a child, because I was I always associate it with the Empire. Right. It is. It's this. I mean, and it is really great. I, I do love the way that that John Williams paced it because the Empire is this ever looming force, and so like especially like I think it is in like Han and the Princess and Yoda and the Force where you're having this this romantic and wonder and then all of a sudden it's just like bah, yeah. bah, like you said like and it is it is because it, it's it's another layer of this great movie and this great and john williams's ability to go kind of above and beyond of the score and add to the storytelling that no matter what the empire is always there which is why this movie is so interesting because it is an emotional it's it's a very low point i think for the rebellion at some points because they're constantly on the move and they can never escape the empire which the score really just like resonates yeah. that well what i think i like about this movie more than some of the others is that it's actually sort of against what you said and i don't think it's particularly a low what well, is sort of a low point for the rebellion because they've just lost on hoth but they got away but it's more about just the core characters and how it's worse for them because in return of the jedi you're like okay the empire is closing in but they do have one last shot for the rebellion but the characters in this movie are like it's just them as the focus. It's not the entire rebellion, which I really like that stripped back because it makes it feel more personal, but it also puts things into perspective of just these people and makes them feel more special. Right. Well, and it also goes to show how much the Skywalkers are really fucking with this galaxy. Just putting it out there. I mean, sort of, but also Palpatine, you know, he he's doing stuff. He's yeah. not a Skywalker, unless unless the rise of Skywalker reveals that Palpatine is a Skywalker. That would be really bad, or good. I don't know. That would be, that would be really bad. I would just I would sit there like, what? I would rather hear that Jar Jar Binks was the mastermind of all of that of everything that's happened than Palpatine is actually you a know, Skywalker. If they do that, be really like mad. Darth Jar Jar as a theory. I'm not one to I'm not one to belittle it. I don't mind I'm that. not. 
I'm not one to belittle it either. I'm just saying if 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 Palpatine is the Skywalker, I'm going to be really bummed. That's like with the the latest Fantastic Beast movie, which I did not really enjoy. Where it turns, oh, spoiler alert! I don't know if there's a crossover with Empire Strikes Back <laughs> and Fantastic Beasts: Rise of Grind or Grindelwald, Crimes of Grindelwald, Rise whatever it's called. Crime uh, but where they were. Whatever, whatever it's called. When at the end they reveal that Ezra Miller's character is actually a Dumbledore, like the lost Dumbledore sibling, and I remember sitting with you like, "You gotta be fucking kidding me! Are you serious?" Like, I, I just think like that's one of those things that you're like, they're just doing it to shock, and it's not like a great like surprise. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like it's like um, Game of Thrones season eight, but I cared a lot less, so I was like, whatever. You're <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh, all right, I guess I guess this is okay. happening. Um. Also, sorry, mom. Mom really likes Crimes of Grindelwald, and I just insulted her. You know her, what? So, since, think, you, since you're one of our two listeners, I apologize. I mom. think because we've gone over the 45 minute mark, mom's not going to make it to this point. So, don't worry. I, I think I think it's all right. Yeah. yeah so mom, mom, stop listening. Now's now's the time to change this podcast into let's talk about mom. Hi, mom. <laughs> she's she's not listening. Um. So I do. So I think. Like you said, we've been talking for a pretty long time about Empire Strikes Back, and I think, obviously, we both really love this movie. I mean, it's my second favorite movie of all time. It's it's a great Star Wars movie. Um, I do really quickly want to talk about this movie and uh, The Last Jedi, um, because I think they are two... Th- th- that movie mirrors this film in a really great way, and I want to talk about Luke in this, in this film, in Empire Strikes Back, as the student and then Luke in Last Jedi as the teacher. I want to kind of get your opinion on Yoda's training versus Luke's training and having and just kind of looking at the similarities between the two and maybe what Luke did or did not learn from his experience with particularly Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, well, I think what's the struggle that they had to deal with with Last Jedi is that it was so much longer after the film. So, like... I think what a lot of fans expected were to, was to see what Luke would train people as, like the ideal Jedi that we that he's shown to become at the end of Return of the Jedi. He's a good mix of the old ways, but also emotion. So people wanted to see that. But I think because it takes place so long after, obviously something's happened to him. And I think it was interesting how they tried to show how like he taught by not teaching. But what really annoys me about the Last Jedi, which is like a minor thing. And I don't want to get into the whole thing around the last Jedi, but it really annoys me that he says that he'll teach Ray three lessons, and then they cut out one of the lessons. It's a, it's like a deleted scene when she goes into the village and like just thinks that they're being attacked, but they're not being attacked. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right, and it's actually that that deleted scene is actually a very cool scene, and there's a very cool shot of Ray running with the lightsaber ignited, and it's it's absolutely a cool shot, and it it's a great scene. It's one of those things that I wish they yeah, included it didn't make in sense it. if they deleted um, that. But to answer your original question, I think it's interesting to see how Luke's views on the Jedi changed, but it's almost like he became he it was sort of like an Empire. He learned the Jedi are good teachers, but I. Or in Return of the Jedi, he learned that the Jedi are good teachers, but he can't be just that. And then it was sort of like in The Last Jedi, he went back to thinking, oh, I, the Jedi are just wrong and I need to get rid and I need to not be one of them. So I think it was interesting and it was a good subversion, but I don't know if it really fits in with what a lot of people thought, but not that you have to go by with what a lot of people thought. 
So uh, it's really interesting. So obviously, uh, I'm one of the people that really enjoys Last Jedi. I think there's some valid criticisms of it, but overall, I really I think it's a really great film. I think Ryan Johnson did a really good job with it. Um, I really, me personally, especially watching Empire Strikes Back, the Luke that we see in Last Jedi is very much the Luke that is a product of of Empire Strikes Back and what happens there. Obviously, he changes a little bit with Return of the Jedi. Um, but I, I just like a lot of Luke's decisions make sense to me, especially seeing, especially if you look at him as a pro- in Last Jedi as a product of Empire Strikes Back in particular. Well, um, I know you disagree. You, do, you don't really like how they handled Luke I don't, in Last Jedi. I don't right? mind how they handled Luke. I've come to accept it, um, which sounds like I don't like it, but I understand what they're doing with it. It's just, it's just one of those things where I think I saw it. We we all saw it as like this was his story, his character arc. And then it's sort of like, as you say, it feels like it's a product of Empire Strikes Back. It feels like they've gone back in time to a Luke that wasn't the character that they left us off with in episode six. But I I find it interesting that you say that. So can you explain it a bit more? Like, what do you think? How do you think the Luke in Last Jedi is the Luke from Empire Strikes Back? Because I don't think he... I think it's an inter. Sorry to ask you a question and interrupt. I think it's an interesting reflection how he was like a hopeful young person, but also frustrated, and then they made him into more of like a hermit. But I think that feels more like Obi Wan Kenobi than Luke. So, uh, so I really actually think Han, Leia, and Luke that we see in Force Awakens and Last Jedi, I think they are product uh, of uh, Empire Strikes Back. And I think J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson really took heavily from that, from those characterizations that we see. Um, but that's, again, that's us kind of going back to what we said earlier, where a lot of what we remember of those characters comes from more out of Empire Strikes Back than A New Hope, because they kind of solidify a lot of things. But I do feel like, especially Luke, when he opened, when he, like, when we meet Luke in Last Jedi, he's closed himself off from the Force. And we see in Empire Strikes Back where he opened himself up to the Force and he, uh, where he opened himself up and he saw Han and he saw Leia in pain and he left early and he left too soon. And he didn't finish his training and he kind of got distracted by that. So I do see where after I think Luke would have lost, where he lost Ben Solo and Kylo Ren was, was created, that I think he shut himself off because I don't think he wanted to feel Han and Leia's pain anymore. And I think he, he, I think in a way he feels he doesn't deserve to feel their pain because that's some sort of emotional connection that I think he feels he doesn't deserve anymore. And I think that um, him closing himself off after what happened with Ben Solo, I think makes a lot of sense. And I think his interactions with Ray, obviously kind of that that's what i got out of that so i feel i do feel like luke in last jedi is a direct result of luke's luke what luke learned in empire strikes back almost but it's almost like in last jedi he hasn't learned what he learned in empire strikes back return of the jedi that i do see like it's like he's regressing back to older habits and then becoming a better person by the end of it again which i think is interesting because they wanted to give him more of an arc but i think for me that it it doesn't i don't know it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel completely honest to the overlying story but i also think there's been a problem with the sequel trilogy um or the first two so far in that they have had this very complex problem of they need to be a sequel to the movies that people love but they also need to tell a new story and i think they've done they've done half and half of each so it doesn't feel like a completion of the whole for me 
like Force Awakens, I feel like is a right. big retread, which I know a lot of people say, but I like the characters in it. But Last Jedi, I think it has a problem because it takes place directly after Force Awakens. So we, it doesn't feel like, for me, it doesn't feel like those characters are that solidified in my mind. Like I haven't seen them change that much because it's only been a week or something in the time of the movies, which makes sense. I mean, I, I do agree with you on that. I don't I, I don't like that Last Jedi takes place so close to Force Awakens. Um, I think that's something that the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy really benefited from is some time jumps between all of the movies. Um, I, I it, It's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I do feel that the sequel trilogy is a direct result of Empire Strikes Back, which is the only reason I'm kind of bringing it up, because I think this is the one that, again, I think J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson really liked. You could tell they really love Empire Strikes Back with some of the actions that they have the original characters take and some of the actions that the, they have the newer characters take as well. Um, so that's just, that, obviously that's just my opinion. Everybody has an opinion on The Last Jedi, but, yeah. you know. I just, I think, especially rewatching Empire Strikes Back and seeing Luke in Last Jedi, it, it very much, like I said, I think he, he doesn't want to open, I don't think he feels like he deserves, because I think if he feels Han and Leia's pain, he'll also feel they will forgive him. So I think he doesn't believe that he deserves their forgiveness either. If yeah, that I think the issue that I had with it, and I'm, I'm very boring in my Last Jedi opinion because I don't feel strongly about it on either side. I I liked the movie but I had problems with it. And so obviously because there's this very split fan base it always sounds like I'm talk like because you like it it sounds like I dislike it, etc. If I talk to someone who dislikes it it sounds like I like it. But I don't know. I think for me I get what you're saying about him feeling like he didn't want to feel their pain, but I think what Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi showed was that Luke didn't have to be a Jedi. You know what I mean? Like he was a new sort of Jedi. I think if that thing did happen with Ben Solo, he would have a period of feeling depressed about it. But I know because it had to be in the next movie, it had to be like a decade or more. But I think Luke would have found a different way to deal with it, a more helpful way from the character that we saw. That's all that I, that's the only reason I felt weird about it because it just felt like it was trying to be something it was trying to be something new, which I appreciated, but it was trying to be something new and it felt slightly dishonest to me. Which is good, though. But, I mean, like, you've, you've always really liked Luke. I, I mean, obviously, I I like Luke as well, but, like, I've always been more, like, I really like Han, I really like Leia, I always think they're, uh, and I, I, I do, my opinion has changed on how they've handled it in the sequel trilogy. I do like it a little bit more now. Um, but, you know, like, I know Luke was a big character for you. so. That's I, I think that's why we have differing opinions on it. Um, Maybe I mean uh, on Last Jedi. Yeah, I mean it wasn't even something that I was like, oh, this is gross, because I liked where it ended with him using the Force to distract um, the First Order and stuff. I just think I think they wanted to stretch it out more, so they made it. I think for most people, the mo the like not unforgivable thing, but the thing that they were like what is going on here is when um, he considered killing Ben. But because like, I don't even mind that he considered that because that is something, but I think to do it in the way that he did just didn't seem, it didn't seem like something someone would do. Like you wouldn't stand over someone with a lightsaber as you were about to kill them. You would think it through and then he would come to that decision. 
but obviously it's the thing that works see, in that so moment. I think that, see, that, that doesn't bother me as much. I think Luke is very emotional and as much, and he is very much driven by his emotions, actually, as all the Skywalkers, as we've seen across all eight films, about to be nine films, they, they react very emotionally, which um, I, I kind of understand. I, it was interesting also to see the scene from Luke's point of view and from uh, Kylo Ren's point of view, which I'm glad Ryan Johnson did yeah, and then, and then because they obviously—it's it's this it's right, and then it's this huge it's this huge misunderstanding, and it's it's something that has this really huge emotional consequence that ends up wreaking havoc a little bit more on all of these characters. So I. I do like I do like Luke's one moment of doubt and because I think Anakin Anakin also had that in Revenge of the Sith so he's very much his father's son in that moment I think so I think that's maybe why I I, I don't mind yeah, that I as think much if that makes sense I don't mind that it's just story wise I think it was a weird mix of is Luke the main character that's made a mistake and needs to change or is he a background character that needs to help Ray change and because Ray doesn't go through right. that much change in the last jedi it was just like okay but i also what it moving the conversation forward because i don't think we're gonna strictly agree about things i think it's funny when people no, are right. like oh the last jedi shows luke as a villain because they show that um the vision of kylo ren where luke is standing over him evil it's like that's the villains for like i don't like when people are like oh disney hates the past and they want it to die it's like that's what the villain's saying the movie's not saying that the villain is saying, oh, you shouldn't appreciate the past, let it die. Like, Kylo Ren is not an anti-hero, he's not a good guy, he's the bad guy, but he's a new type of bad guy. I was, I kind of disagree with you, I don't think he's the bad guy, um, so I do disagree with you on that, um, but it, it, it's good to see, it was great to see both sides of it, because you are getting some level of truth from both of those visions, right? Because they're both showing you what happened in their mind, but there is, there's a level of similarity to that. So you are getting the truth from seeing both sides of it and not, not even just Luke's side, you know, you are getting both sides of what they saw. Yeah. So uh, that's completely right. I mean, we do, we, we obviously have disagreements on the last Jedi. And I, like I said, like you, like you said, like you don't hate it and you don't love it. It's just, you like it. It's a good star Wars movie. Whereas I'm very much on the, I really love last Jedi side. Yeah, so. I mean, I don't um, feel passionately about it. I've seen it maybe three times which isn't that much for a star wars movie but i've seen solo twice so you know what there we are i do really like it. i mean so solo's its own beast. my favorite thing about the secret the secret trilogy the sequel trilogy is kylo ren i really like his character and stuff in it so the, for, yeah, for me, I the mean, last jedi and, the best parts and, about the last jedi are kylo ren like i like that he's a character that makes decisions that are completely in character for him but they are unexpected story-wise yeah, I mean that's one of the reasons I really love it is um is I, I it's he's a super interesting. I think he starts uh, t and I again I think we disagree on this. I think he starts as an antagonist a little bit in Force Awakens and I think he he and I think J either JJ Abrams or someone has said this from Lucasfilm that that Kylo Ren and Rey are two halves of the same protagonist, which I've always found really interesting. So I think he is slowly going oh I mean obviously I think there's more to Kylo Ren that will be revealed probably with Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. But I think I think he is such an interesting character. And you're right, we haven't seen anything like this before. Yeah. And especially and you know, part of it's they've they've done a really good job with them so far. 
Um, and uh, honestly, a lot of The Last Jedi, really, all the scenes with uh, Rey and Kylo Ren and Luke, they're all really well done, in my opinion. I really love it. They're, they're the very strong point of that film. And to go back to what I was saying before when I was saying he's the bad guy, I don't mean in the story of the sequel trilogy. I mean from the form of the script. He's the, he's the antagonist. Right. And the good thing about The Last Jedi is it makes you think maybe he won't be. And then he surprises you because... Our expectation is that Snoke will be a grand bad guy, whereas Kylo's taken that place. But obviously, I think they're almost backtracking now with Rise of Skywalker because it seems like Kylo's going to have to band with the Resistance to fight Pal- Palpatine. But I, always, to be to be honest, I've always, I've felt that way since Last Jedi. I don't. I think uh, I think he's very emotional at the end of Last Jedi, especially after Snoke dies and Rey doesn't accept his offer. So I think he's just very emotional in that one moment, but I don't think he's, he's not the villain of the yeah, story, I, which, and what I'm uh, saying is, is he's the antagonist of that. No, I, I know what you're correct. Yes. That I, I know what you're saying, but I'm just saying like, and especially, especially if them bringing Palpatine back, which is just so great, like that he's this overarching villain of all nine of these movies is pretty great. Yeah, as well, I mean, we'll so. see what they do with it. I think it's, they've, after the last Jedi, Star Wars is in such a place that you can't really satisfy everyone anymore. So I just hope it's something that people right. enjoy and hopefully is good. But we'll see. We'll always have always so, have Empire. We will always have Empire. Going back to our original reason for doing this, we will always have Empire Strikes Sorry Back. Sorry for that 20-minute uh, minute rant about The Last Jedi. No, you know, I did want to talk about Last Jedi because, again, I feel like that movie is very much a product of, of Empire. So I, you know... I'll put a, I'll put a disclaimer whenever I release this that hey if you don't want to hear about the last Jedi don't listen to the last twenty I mean, minutes but I think we had a good discussion it's, about it's it. It's been so. two years. I think people can hear about the last Jedi and it is about we're talking about the Empire Strikes Back. I, I don't want to talk about we're not talking about the last Jedi. So that was Empire Strikes Back with my guest, my younger brother Lucas. Lucas, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to me about Empire Strikes Back. I always love talking Star Wars. And it's always fun talking movies with you because we, we tend to have some differing opinions, but we always have pretty pretty good We always respect each other's opinion, which is the most... That's, I mean, you know, When you're like, I don't, I don't uh, respect your opinions, Lucas, but I'm glad you respect mine. Exactly. And that's the way it should be. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up and say, please join us again next time. Where again, this is Ghostface Knit, where I talk favorite movies with favorite people. And we'll see you guys Bye. soon. Bye. Bye.